Okay, so um, I'm not going to even talk about that right now. So I just put that up to pique your curiosity, that stuff up there. So last week, Scott taught, was teaching out of um, Hebrews chapter 10, and he really focused on the verse that says, it was a perfect sacrifice by a perfect person to perfect some very imperfect people. And he made the point that Jesus finished the work of sacrifice, because what we tend to do is we'll go out and we'll do the same thing over and over and over again. And we come in on Sunday and we do whatever sort of a little sacrifice thing we feel like we can get away with to get rid of that. And then we go back out and do the same thing. And so Jesus, by making a perfect sacrifice of himself, put an end to all that stuff because he took away our sins. He didn't just cover our sins. He took away our sins. And so we look at that verse, perfect sacrifice, we don't have any trouble with that. Perfect person, we don't have any trouble with that. Some very imperfect people, we really don't have any trouble with that. But then we get that verb, perfect, to perfect. And we're like, wait, wait a minute, okay. That's where, that's where the hang-up is. Because it says Jesus came to perfect us. So we're going to look at what that means, what that looks like. Okay, so you have this verb, perfect, and in the, the, it's a transitive verb, and it means to bring to perfection or completion. Okay? That kind of, it kind of rings a bell about a scripture that I read someplace that says, there has never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep at it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Christ Jesus appears. Okay, so we have this word to perfect. We have completion. This whole word about flourishing finish. And then I look at myself in the mirror and I'm like, mm-hmm. something's going to have to change. And that thing that has to change is our identity. We need a name change. And I'm going to get there, so just... Have you ever experienced something? When we went to Sri Lanka, when Steve and I first moved to Sri Lanka, we were missionaries there for a couple of years, and when we went there, after the first weekend, the first, like, 48 hours we were there, lots of experience, we knew that we had missed God, we were complete failures, we had really, royally messed things up, And our plan was to move to the Midwest. We were from North Carolina at the time. We're going to move to the Midwest and change our name so nobody was going to know what a horrific failure we were. Now, where you go from Smith, I don't know. (laughs) Maybe Johnson. (laughs) Maybe Johnsoners. I don't know. Anyway, but have you ever had one of those kind of experiences and you're like, oh, my gosh, I just wish nobody would ever know about this. I'm just going to change my name. Okay? But that's... um, It's because you don't want people to know about your identity. It's all tied in together. In the Bible, um, God talks about identity through names. He reveals who he is through his names. Okay, remember when Moses was going to go and talk to Pharaoh, and he said, "Um, who who am I going to say sent me? And God said, he revealed his name of Yahweh, which means I am who I am, I will be who I will be, and I cause what is. Now, that's a huge brushstroke 
But he was revealing himself not only as a person, but as a verb. God is a verb. Now that's a thought. That'll mess with your mind. Just take that. That's free. Okay, and then later on, he reveals himself as El Shaddai, which translates it to God Almighty, but it means the nourisher or provider. Literally translated, it means the breasty one. So it's kind of revealing that God has no gender. He has both female and male characteristics. He's the one that nourishes and provides for us. And then you've got all those Jehovah names of God that he reveals. Jehovah Shalom, the God of our peace. Jehovah Jireh, the God who provides for us. Jehovah Tzidkenu, which is the God who is our righteousness. Then you've got the name of Jesus, which in itself is this huge wealth, and it's much deeper than I'm going to delve into. It basically means Savior. Then you've got Emmanuel, God with us. All these different names of God, he reveals his character through that. Then you've got God changing the names of all these people in the Bible. Remember uh, Jacob? Remember what Jacob means? Deceiver? And then he has this crazy kind of an experience where he wrestles with God, and then God changes his name to Israel, which means somebody who prevails with God. Now, that's, that's a huge change from being a deceiver, which is a very negative character trait, to being somebody who prevails with God. Then you've got um, Saul, whose name was changed to Paul. You've got Simon, who went to Peter. You've got Abram, who went to Abraham. Sarai, who went to Sarah. All those name changes, God did those things. God is really serious about names. Do you remember, anybody remember from Sunday school growing up what the third commandment is? It says, no using the name of God, your God, in curses or silly banter. God won't put up with the irreverent use of his name. Then what did God tell Abraham? Genesis chapter 2, who's a prospective student? (laughs) Blanca's hiding back there. After he said, I'm going to bless you to be a blessing, what did he say? I will make your name great. So obviously there's something going on with God and names. Now, there's a lot of reasons why you might want to change your name. One, One is just pure choice. If my name were Charlie Brown, I would probably want to change it to something a little bit more... um, I don't know, characterful or something. Can I use that word? Like Carnegie or Rockefeller or uh, Kennedy or, you know, something. You know, something different. But I wouldn't want to go with Charlie Brown. Remember the sisters in Austin, Ima and Ura Hogg? Now, I'm, I mean, I know they're a wealthy family, so, but I would probably want to do a name change. I don't know. Just saying. Then again, uh, adoption is another reason that you might change your name. Remember when um, the Brandenburgers adopted Hall? His name became Brandenburger. Okay, so adoption is another reason. Romans 8 talks about the fact that God has adopted us as his children. It says, for those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again, Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, or Daddy, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit 
that we are God's children. He's adopted us into his family. Another reason that you change your name is marriage. Okay, now how many of you before Facebook, this doesn't count, how many of you knew or even cared that my maiden name was Hickman? Don't see a lot of hands going up. We don't care. I mean, who cares what your maiden name is? It has very little bearing on who you are anymore. Right? I mean, wives, am I right in that? Okay. Um, Now, there's a verse in Ephesians, and Paul is talking about husbands and wives, and he makes reference to, okay, I'm talking about Christ and the church. Then in Revelations, it says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory, for the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. That's us. Okay, so we have all of these precedents establishing God's, God's he's, he's hung up with names. He's got this big deal with names. And legitimate reasons to change your name. Adoption, we've been adopted into his family. Marriage, we're a part of the bride of Christ. So he's serious about name changes. I'm going to read an entire verse from the book of Isaiah. I hope that's okay. I mean, an entire chapter. So it's not very long. Don't worry. It says, regarding Zion, and this is us, folks, when he's talking about Zion or Jerusalem or all that stuff in the Old Testament, it's talking about us. Regarding Zion, I can't keep my mouth shut. Regarding Jerusalem, I can't hold my tongue until her righteousness blazes down like the sun and her salvation flames up like a torch. Foreign countries will see your righteousness and world leaders your glory. You'll get a brand new name straight from the mouth of God. You'll be a stunning crown in the palm of God's hand, a jeweled cup held high in the hand of your God. No more will anyone call you rejected, and your country will no more be called ruined. You'll be called my delight, and your land married, because God delights in you, and your land will be like a wedding celebration." For as a young man marries his virgin bride, so your builder marries you. And as a bridegroom is happy in his bride, so your God is happy with you. Okay, did you hear that? We have been given a brand new name, straight from the mouth of God, a new identity. When did he do that? When he adopted us as his child. When we became part of the bride of Christ, Jeremiah says, For I bear your name. Lord God Almighty. We have taken on the name, his name, that God has given us. And remember, that's tied into his identity and his character. Our our identity and our character are now rooted in who God is. This is my absolute favorite verse in the entire Bible. It's in 2 Corinthians, and it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. Now listen to this. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God took away that very most defining quality of our character, our sin, and gave us back his righteousness. That quality of righteousness has not really defined us in the past, has it? (laughs) But when our identity changes, 
when we realize what God's done for us, changing our name, adopting us as his child, he lets us even tie into who he is. Now, could you imagine what would have happened after I married Steve? If I kept my name, I kept everything about myself, nothing changed, maybe I still lived with my parents, you know, all this stuff, nothing changed about my identity. If I had a fight with Steve, what would I do? I'd be running home to Mama. Okay, every time. I'd be keeping on doing the same things time after time after. Here I'd be with four kids and two grandkids doing the same thing I was doing when I was in high school. How appealing is that? My daughter's laughing at me. (laughs) No, that's not really. I mean, I would be just moving along as if nothing at all had changed in my life. Because my identity was tethered to that previous life. I'd be stuck. I'd run into the same problems time and time again because my identity never changed or enlarged to include being a wife and mother, and I would be powerless to change it. When our identity stays tethered to our old nature, that person we used to be before Jesus stepped into our life, we keep on doing the same things over and over and over again, and we're powerless to change it. Okay, now we're finally going to get to the rock climbing picture, okay? Now, I've already talked to Laura and Brian about this, so I'm not going to look at them when I do this. I am not a rock climber. I don't know if you knew that or not. (laughs) I have no desire to, (laughs) but we're going to use it as an illustration anyway. When you go rock climbing, you tie into a rock with a a camming device. Is that what it's called, cam device, camming? Okay, good. See, that's thumbs up there. Um, So that if you fall, you don't go all the way to the bottom, hopefully. You'll go as far as that, that point at the rock will let you fall, okay? You'll, You'll go pretty much the same place as you stopped the last time. And if you slip and trip on the same place every time on that rock, you're going to fall right back to the same place, time after time after time, right? Because, but you're tied to the rock, so it's a little bit of safety. You're not going to crash down. But now listen, here's the point that I'm making. When we get tied into our own identity, our old identity, this is who I am, I can't do anything about it, the same things that trip us up, are going to trip us up over and over and over again. I'm worthless. I'm a failure. I have no power over substance abuse. That destructive behavior is how I have fun or how I feel pleasure or how I dull the pain. Nobody's going to value me except for this one thing. It's my identity. I've bought into that identity. I am tied in to that identity. I'm tethered to that rock, and I'm going to fall in the same place over and over and over again. Regardless of where I go, I'm tethered to that. But, now if you don't hear anything else I'm saying today, listen to this part. I can make progress on that rock, or not, but I'm still tied into the rock. I can't change rocks without tying into that other rock. 
But what if I do change rocks? Then where am I going to fall? I'm going to fall into the new rock. Now, I may come crashing down, but I'm still going to crash into a different rock. Things are going to be different in my life because I'm tethered to a different place, a different truth. When God changes my name and my identity, I am tied into him and who he is and who he's made me to be. I'm rooted and grounded in his love. I have been set free from that old identity, and I have a new identity in him. And when the sun sets you free, you are free indeed. doesn't matter what rock I came from, because I'm moving upward. Now, listen very carefully to what I'm saying. What I am not saying is, now I'm a Christian, and this is the way a Christian behaves. Because we've all gone to the you know, a little clone from the well-behaved Christian factory place. Where's the, the little slide? Does that look like fun? <laughs> Lauren Bryant, is that what you want to do the next time you want to go climb? No, that's not, that's not it. I, I, if there's one thing I do not want to look like, it is the current depiction of what a uh, Christian looks like in this day and age. <laughs> that's not me. I do not want to do that. Now it's safer. You've got to admit, it's safer. Because climb, rock climbing is, is a pretty risky business. But you know what? Compared to this alternative, compared to playing it safe, I'd rather live my life taking risks. I want to be free, indeed. I want to be in the wide open world that God created us to live in. And what I want to look like is Jesus. I want his character, his compassion, his, his uh, peace, his righteous judgment, his uh, genuine love for other people. That's the rock I want to tether myself to. That's where I want to fall when I fail. Because I'm not talking about a life where I never fall. I never slip. I never make mistakes. I never trip. I never do anything wrong. But I'm not going to be tethered to the past and trapped by those same habits and misconceptions that held me prisoner in my past. I'm not going to do that. I'm changing rocks. And Paul admitted that he slipped and fell, but, but listen to what he had to say about it. He said, not that I have already, already obtained all of this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. You see, we can track where we've come from in the past. We can see where those cams are in that other rock. But those same tripping points aren't going to hold me back because I'm going upward. I'm going higher. When we fall now, we fall on the rock of God's love that was so strong that he gave us a new name as he adopted us as his children. We've taken on a new identity, like when the bride takes on the name of her husband. Remember that scripture in Isaiah that says, married and my delight, that's what he's going to call us. Now, be careful in your thinking 
but you don't make the mistake to think this is a tool. It's not a tool. It's an identity. And it takes practice to become comfortable. Within a year of the time I was married, I was teaching. And all those kids calling me Mrs. Smith, I'm like, oof, who is that? Molly, you remember that when you started? Yeah, that's crazy. You're trying to figure out, you know, where's my husband's mother, you know? But it, it takes practice to become comfortable with that. But as husband and wife, we have um, all the freedom and all the rights to all the belongings, to all the, the authority. I can, I can pretty much speak for Steve. I know how he thinks. He can pretty much speak for me. He knows how I think. He knows the kind of things I would like and dislike, prove of and disapprove of. Even our kids have some authority. My kids, I, they know, I'm, I'm afraid to say this on tape, but they know that there are certain times that they can dig around in my purse and get my debit card and run to the store and get something. Okay? Now, nobody else except my family has that authority. I'm just making that clear. <laughs> but they know what I would approve of, you know. Benji's going to go out and buy a new Mac Pro. He's not going to take my debit card. For one thing, there's nothing in there, but that's okay. <laughs> but, but the point is that as they grow, the, the authority that I give to them grows because they know me. They grow. They mature in their character. They know who they are. They know what I approve of and what I don't approve of. See, we, we Christians tend to take scriptures like when Jesus said, I will do whatever you ask in my name. Remember that? And we try to use it as a tool, kind of as a magic word, you know. That's my house in Jesus' name. You know, you go down to the car lot and you walk seven times around a car. In Jesus' name, this is my car. You know, it's not a tool. That hurts me to hear that stuff. It's not a tool. It's an identity. It's an identity. It's like as we grow, as we take on his identity and his character, we will only ask those things that are consistent with who he is. It's just talking about a maturing process. Okay, there's huge risk in that. But God is a risk-taking God. So we've got this new identity, this new name. We we really have to retrain ourselves to acknowledge it. We find ourselves in the same situations that in the past caused us to stumble. And it's like watching a tape play. You know how the end of this is going to come out, right? Because you've been there too many times before. Well, number one, let me say, first of all, change your situation. I mean, you can change that tape by changing where you go and who you're with, and some of those things are pretty obvious. But sometimes at the first, we have to, um, we, have, we may have to remind ourselves like 100 times a day, I've got a new name. I'm a new creation. That's not my identity anymore. Okay? And it's... It's not a simple process, I'm not saying that, but it's a matter of reminding ourselves what God has done. See, it's, it's really God's job to change who we are anyway. So, but, but he's also given us a helper and a coach to help us through the hard spots. But since he has expressed clearly in the Bible that that's what he did, what he's doing in our lives, now that you know about it, you, can, you just need to remind yourself that this is what God has done for me. He has changed my name. We're tied into a new rock and a new identity. But if you know that he's done it, 
And your faith, you know he's faithful to do what he promised. And know that he's faithful to bring you to completion. You just kind of stay aware and watch him do the work and remind yourself of the truth. So what happens if you fall now? You stand up and you dust yourself off and you say, thank God that I fell on him and I fell on his love. And thank God that he has changed my name and I am not doomed to be who I always thought I was. I've got a new name. I've got a new identity. And because God's doing the work in me, I am going to look like Jesus. So we, we have to respond to this. I mean, this is not just something that you can, you can just hear and forget about. You need to respond to this. And I want to respond with Paul. And if, you're, if, you're, if you heard what we said today and, and you're like, yeah, you're, you know, that's, that's right. I want you to join with me. Let's read this together. This is what Paul said in Ephesians. My response is to get down on my knees before the Father, this magnificent Father who parcels out all heaven and earth. I ask him to strengthen you by his spirit, not a brute strength, but a glorious inner strength, that Christ will live in you as you open the door and invite him in. And I ask him that with both feet firmly planted on love, you'll be able to take in with all the followers of Jesus the extravagant dimensions of Christ's love. Reach out and experience the breadth. Test its length. Plumb the depths. Rise to the heights. Live full lives, full in the fullness of God.